Today, I'm talking to Leonard Gilroy from the Reason Foundation about an issue that more and more conservatives are slowly waking up to. And uh, Leonard, thank you very much for joining us. Thank you for having me. It's an honor to be here. ESG is one of those um, buzz phrases that people are beginning to hear more and more of. And it stands for um, environmental, social and governance. And it's it's really the um, reason why big companies, big corporate organizations are practicing woke capitalism. Can you tell us a little bit about it and why it is doing so much damage to America? Well, I think what we see, well, thank you for having me, first of all, and um, no, and, and for spotlighting an important issue that really is, um, we think, a threat to capitalism, you know, as, as we know it today in, in many different forms. And there's a few different manifestations of it that we can we can talk about as it relates to governments specifically and how they spend and invest their money. Um, but generally speaking, yes, ESG stands for Environmental, Social and Corporate Governance. Um, what I would call it is a set of policies and maybe aspirations and um, and um, fluid subjective benchmarks for, if you will, a movement that is really trying to change the way, you know, capitalism works at some fundamental levels, um, put those issues and in, environmental issues, social, social concerns, corporate governance concerns like um, diversity, equity, inclusion, that sort of thing, um, and elevate those as priorities in the investments of um the private sector, corporations, mm -hmm. and the investments of normal and everyday mm -hmm. individual Americans. And then also, probably more disturbingly, it's one thing, you know, what we do individually with our own money and how we choose to invest our own personal funds in a free market. But it's another thing when then, you know, pressure is applied through the political mechanisms um, as applied to public finance, public sector pensions, public treasuries, public, all sorts of public sector trusts that are actually also being pressured to make decisions that are not um, aligned with maybe their actual responsibilities uh, in, in terms of governance, and instead elevating political concerns of the moment, such as ESG, um, over what might be, for instance, the fundamental concern of a pension plan to make sure that it has money in its mm -hmm. pension system to deliver to protect to deliver the um, promised benefits um, that to the uh, to the retirees. Now, say you were the trustee of a pension fund, a public pension fund, don't you have a fiduciary duty to make sure that the pension money is invested in a way that maximizes returns? Uh, aren't there perfectly good um, established legal precedents that would allow us to actually sue people who breach their fiduciary duty? There are well, long, long established fiduciary laws and precedents in, in statutes across the nation and at the federal level that certainly embody that notion of, you know, especially when you're investing for the public trust, the maximizing returns on for to 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 essentially for for example of a pension fund, ensure that taxpayers don't have to then you know compensate for what you're not getting in the market or et cetera, you know, and there's all sorts of other um, manifestations of it. But the, when when we elevate when we demote those long-standing legal precedents and those long-standing fiduciary boundaries, and we basically try to crash through them and justifying it on, you know, moral grounds or, or suggesting that they're just not flexible enough to deal with the, uh, an emergent economy. These are, this is, um, you know, it's the sort of pressure that we see on all kinds of social systems, you know, today. And, and this is one manifestation of it as it is touching 
um, really our finance sector in, in, in some very broad ways. And so it's just a, it's another manifestation of culture wars in, in a lot of ways that are really playing out in spaces that have real fundamental economic consequences for mm -hmm. not only America, not only Mississippi, um, but the globe. Do you, do you think that if capitalism well, surely surely that would surely there's an argument that the free market would take care of that if you were a big pension fund and you invested unwisely we'd be able to see we'd be able to see how ESG invested funds perform relative to to those that aren't ESG what is it that what is it that prevents that that um, comparison from happening well, there are, there are a number of obstacles, but a, a major one would be that it is that if you wanted, if if as an individual, like participant in a system like that, for instance, I'll, again, I'll stick with a pension system example. Um, for like, if you're a retiree of Mississippi PERS, for instance, in your state, and you decided that you had maybe some issue with the way a decision was made around an investment that you maybe suspected could be a breach of fiduciary duty of the way we would maybe. I think at a common law level and a common speak and common understanding language, understand it, which is you make you invest to maximize returns to make sure that that retired teacher gets their benefit and ensures that taxpayers don't have to then make up the difference uh, when you miss that in the market. Um, well, that individual would have to sue the system to basically move that issue into the legal um, in, 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 into the courts. And, and that's mm -hmm. a high barrier. I mean, that, especially mm -hmm. for retirees of public pension systems, mm -hmm. you know, and at an individual taxpayer level, you would have to be willing to go and challenge a state treasury if you had the same, you know, concern about how treasury, state treasury investments, mm -hmm. which are a different, different type of public trust, but still the same fundamental um, fiduciary, you know, responsibilities. So there are, I guess you could say there are, even though you would think the law seems to be and appears to be clear, you know, and as longstanding precedent, as we challenge precedents across the board in lots of different ways, this is one where once you start to see those challenges happening, the, the ability to then, you know, engage it and actually test out the boundaries of how strong is the law, that becomes a challenge because there are legal barriers to doing those tests. And so um, one of the things that a, a number of states are looking at and national organizations, including us, um, and, and I probably I would assume that you're looking at this as well, is looking at strengthening some of those um, fiduciary laws at the state and, and potentially federal level, even down the road, um, that really instruct those fiduciaries what their responsibilities are, what decision making is sort of in bounds and and what, you know, is best left to the political sphere. Free market capitalism is built on this idea that an individual owns capital and they invest capital. The problem arises when the ownership and the management of capital become separated in a way that perhaps we we still don't fully grasp. I mean, I, I read recently, and I'm talking about private um, in, in investment organizations that you know BlackRock and uh, Invesco and uh, State Street and organizations like that literally have not billions, they have trillions of dollars, which they don't actually own, but they in effect manage. They, they, the, the, the managers of those funds often operate and act as though they owned it, although of course they're, they're not really the owners of that capital. Is, is there perhaps, do you think, time to reconsider the sort of the fundamental laws about the relationship between 
the ownership of capital and the management of capital? Might that be uh, 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 the, the, the fundamental cause of this problem? Well, there is definitely a disconnect, and I'm, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm not sure that I, we may be at that moment. I, I, I'm probably, you know, too low a pay grade to just, just determine that one. But I would say that what you're flagging is a, a real problem that has put this on the radar for a number of, you know, states across the country, where you can see companies like BlackRock, a number of, of folks out there that are, you know, essentially for various reasons, in engaging the market in ways that are, you know, fundamentally anti-market by, by promoting some of these ESG policies and infusing it into things that are very um, difficult to discern in the public sector, such as all the alternative investments that are happening in like public pension systems and other types of public trust, where these companies are essentially, it's sort of a non-transparent sort of avenue of investment where we are seeing basically capitalism eating itself at a certain level. And I mean, there is absolutely a fundamental disconnect there. And one of the things that we think is really important, well, actually, sorry, one before I move on, um, I mean, this really became manifest when we saw, you know, an insurgent, um, several board members sort of uh, be elevated at Exxon a few years ago through the acts of proxy votes, which are all basically large institutional investor votes that companies that exist in this marketplace exist to corral those votes and vote them in different ways. And, in, and what we're seeing is that there are consultants and actors in our free market economy that are essentially, um, perhaps unintentionally, I, I don't want to speak to their intentions, but the effect of what they're doing is promoting these anti-capitalist policies that are going to hurt consumers, hurt mm -hmm. states, hurt governments. And because of that problem that you fundamentally identified, where We've deferred a lot of decision making, both as you know, sort of as institutional investors for sure, as policymakers governing public trust who are sort of letting those sort of votes happen, and not really minding the store like um, like we believe they should, and we think that it's time to to really rein that in. I mean, I, I sort of naturally grew up just naturally assuming that business tended to be conservative, and I assumed that because I thought that if you have to manage a balance sheet and if you have to uh, face the tough decisions the people who run businesses face it would kind of you know the facts of life would kind of make you conservative but one of the great puzzles of the past or so years is the rise of kind of the woke corporate ceo and i think we're beginning to understand why this is if you know five percent or ten percent or twenty percent of your shares are owned by you know a black rock type fund manager, and they are insisting that you have a certain number of woke criteria, you, you, you're you going to start paying lip service to this stuff. I mean, you're, you're going to listen if, if you know, a significant slice of your shares are owned by one of these woke fund managers. And I think this really explains why it is that businesses that we thought would be conservative have actually turned out to be almost as left wing and progressive as kind of liberal campuses. Well, I think that's there's absolutely truth to that. And another factor that also um, goes along with that is that there's actually been, at least up until the recent history, and we'll we'll see how this shakes out now moving forward, but there were a few years there at least where ESG, like companies were able to charge a premium for putting ESG products into the marketplace. Mm -hmm. And that has, there's an incentive there to, you know, also kind of steer the market towards those products. 
And essentially, when you really get down underneath and you look at what is in those sorts of funds, what you see is not that different from a, a, a pre-ESG fund or a non-ESG fund in lots of ways, lots of tech stocks, lots of sectors you might expect to see represented you know, in some normal market portfolios, yet being branded with an ESG fund and having those labels and sort of a system of ratings and, 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 um, and, and metrics that go along with that that are highly subjective, that has led to a lot of bad incentives in the marketplace, a lot of you know, actors with, I would say, malintent that have been able to manipulate both, you know, and and uh, and steer, you know, off course many individual investors and also large institutional ones like the ones we're talking about. What well, you know, I I work for a free market. Um, some might even suggest at times libertarian, unapologetically Reagan-esque uh, state-level think tank. We believe in the free market. What can we do about it? Now, clearly, what we don't want to be doing is drafting legislation that tells private capital how it can and cannot be allocated. Frankly, if if fund managers are daft enough to kind of go all woke ESG long term, that's on them. But what, what can we do as think tanks? What can we do in the public policy sphere that's legitimately public policy to try to address some of the problems of, of woke capitalism? Well, thanks. It's a great question. And it's a really complicated question that a number of organizations, yours, ours, you know, and a number across the country are really digging into right now. And um, I would say there's a few steps. This is going to be an, a, an answer that will evolve over many years. So that's the first mm -hmm. answer. So this is not a one and done. There's one magic solution to this. This is a movement that um, has had a long route. Before there was something called ESG, there was just political pressure for divestment for cert from certain causes. We watched, I remember writing op-eds a decade or more ago at Reason Foundation about, you know, states that were telling pension systems to divest out of private prison companies or, you know, pick oil and gas or you mm. pick your industry because of whatever mm. political pressures were going on. Mm. Now that's kind of consumed under a new banner. And so pushing back on that is not, that's, that's been happening for a decade. So we shouldn't expect quick solutions. But I think first and foremost, um, we think tightening up fiduciary boundaries around big public trust. This is where large, it's as you said, it's one thing a fool and his money are soon parted. If it's, you know, myself and my own personal investment. And I just believe that, you know, I want to, I want to have a, a large share of my personal retirement portfolio in an ESG, you know, focused, you know, sector. Great. I can do that. And I bear the risk and reward of that. And that's fine. Mm -hmm. That's how our economy is supposed to work. It's another thing when you have you know billions and collectively trillions of dollars in public taxpayer dollars that are pooled yeah. and deployed out there in the markets in large ways. <clears throat> and so there we we believe that, as I mentioned earlier, constraining the um, boundaries of fiduciary action, clarifying to fiduciaries of these public trusts, like state treasuries, like pension systems, for instance, that um, to tighten the boundaries and basically say, look, you know, we're going to we trust but verify. So to to you you mentioned Reagan, and that's a Reagan phrase that we think should apply in the ESG space. We should have freedom of action, even for a public pension fund, to invest in you know ways that are going to maximize the returns for the benefit of the beneficiaries and ultimately the taxpayers who are um, ultimately bear the liabilities when you know if a pension system were to run dry. Um, and so, but, you know, we, we, we don't want to constrain and say, don't invest in this or that, that is politically targeting investments one way or the other, whether it's for or against woke, you know, mm -hmm. companies or, or causes, mm -hmm. 
we think that's bad on either end. We don't like it when sort of the center left would come in and say, let's, you know, let's divest from private prisons or, um, you know, the Dakota pipeline company service providers or, you know, you, you name the list. Same thing is we wouldn't think it's prudent to go and sort of try to either protect those industries on the other side mm -hmm. or, um, you know, kind of take on whatever the center rights, you know, um, boogeyman of the day are. Better to let fiduciaries act and trust but verify. Make sure that you have strong fiduciary boundaries and then all the transparency in and around their processes through lots of reporting on proxy. I mean, I can go deep on this, but we think we think tightening fiduciary boundaries to say what's in, you know, what we'd call the pecuniary versus non-pecuniary space or what is legitimate risk and performance. That would be pecuniary factors you should consider and must consider as mm -hmm. part of your fiduciary duty versus things like ESG that are, you know, what we would consider other factors that may be in the mix, mm -hmm. but that's not what you base your decision on. Clarifying that, creating the transparency around the decision-making processes, and then ultimately giving um, state attorney generals um, essentially power to investigate um, potential breaches of fiduciary duty um, in ways that it would be difficult for maybe a beneficiary of a of a trust, like a taxpayer or a retiree of a public pension system, to file a legal action on their own, you know, to give more um, um, ability for the the state's you know attorneys to to dive in and investigate those matters. We think that's an important aspect of it, and then mm -hmm. along with transparency, and there's a number of other um, good governance policies that we think could go along with this that would tighten up. Um, even policies around alternative investments like private equity hedge funds and that sort of thing, which is a space in which the, you know, the actors you mean, you mentioned like BlackRock and others that are sort of active on a lot of investment categories, places where ESG can infuse itself into public investment in ways that are not entirely transparent. So shining lights and clarifying boundaries, we think, um, is the first step. I'm very excited that my friend Vivek Ramaswamy has actually decided to tackle woke investing, not by lobbying for changes in the law, but actually just setting up a fund. He's he's gone ahead and he's actually set up a, a non-ESG fund, a fund that in fact, he's got two or three of them and they're unashamedly investing on the basis of maximizing return rather than on, on, on ESG considerations. It's gonna be fascinating to see how his funds compare to um, others in that space. Um, that's one to watch. But in terms of in terms of state action and public policy, you mentioned the um, state treasurer and you mentioned the um, um, attorney general, the the, the state attorney. Um, do you think that I mean clearly there's a role for both of those state officials? Is there is there one state where the state treasurer has acted uh, in a way that others should pay attention? Should I, if I was to talk to the Mississippi state treasurer, is there one state I could point to and say? look at what they've done in that state. Um, that's what we should be trying to emulate. I think there are some examples in, in a few states I'll flag and, and they may be not terribly prominent and they may not be the ones that you would read in the Wall Street Journal. Um, so it's a little maybe more under the radar to a certain extent. Um, one category I would say, I live in, I'm dialing in here from uh, Arizona um, and our state treasurer, Kimberly Yee, she, uh, she actually just got reelected um, um, uh, the other the other week, um, she and I would say Ron DeSantis, Governor DeSantis in Florida, his he's directing his um, his treasury, the effective equivalent of a treasury, to do the same basic policy. 
which is essentially a version of what I just said, but having those states, rather than legislatures sort of passing a law for every public trust, they're going in proactively even before the legislature can at, at an executive and administrative level and saying, treasuries right now, change your investment policies, put in stronger fiduciary guardrails, tell the fiduciaries exactly what's in bounds and what's out of bounds, if I might use that, you know, mm -hmm. metaphor of, you know, sports, what's, uh, you know, pecuniary, non-pecuniary inbounds or out of bounds, I guess is the way I would put it. And so they, are, those states are already just not even waiting for legislatures to act. They're just, you have executives or, or a treasurer um, herself telling her agency or their agencies to change their policy now to clarify this. Mm -hmm. That's a first step. So I would say, um, that is an act that any um, elected or unelected treasurer, depending on what state you're in, you know, can um, can and, and probably should be doing if they haven't already. Um, you have a number of, of treasurers, and I believe including your own, <clears throat> um, but there's probably 15 now that have actively just said um, they're taking a, a position against BlackRock and they're basically, you know, divesting themselves from BlackRock. Mm -hmm. And so that's a, a, a something that has made the news quite a bit across the country. And you have a number of state financial officers that are are sort of looking at, at that sort of approach. Um, and then I think beyond that, I, I know that there are a number of states that are, and I don't think anybody's tackled this one yet, but I know there is a lot of concern around woke banking, what would be called woke banking. Mm -hmm. And what th I mean by that are sort of banking decisions made particularly in the loan space, you know, loans to companies, loans to industrial sectors, um, where banks have maybe taken positions for probably, I mean, you know, again, I'm not trying to indict the banks, but I'm saying I'm sure there's lots of a mix of reasons out there. But in some cases, there have been, you know, ESG type of considerations that have have, have folded into those decisions about whether loans are made to certain industry sectors or not. And so there's a lot of concern and interest I know among policymakers out there about looking at that issue and trying to figure out are there how can we, again, without trying to intervene too deeply into the normal actions of the private sector. If I, you know, we're not going to force people to make loans. Um, excuse me, we're not going to force people to make loans to, to, to companies as governmental entities. That's Bill not Clinton, in play Bill, in terms of, I think Bill, the boundaries Bill, of, Bill, of government action, but you know, it is a, it is a delicate balance of trying to find out, um, or, or trying to discover if there are legal avenues to at least signal to these banking institutions that that sort of behavior, you know, again, I would say treat it like trust but verify. If you have legitimate reasons to be denying, you know, um, loans to a sector, well, that's one thing. But if you're doing it because you, for instance, signed on to global climate or sorry, climate action 100 or you know some global climate agreement, that's a different rationale. I mean, Bill, Bill Clinton's government, I think, put enormous pressure on banks to make loans to people to buy homes who banks would not otherwise have lent money to. And look what look how that ended. So there's it went really well, reason, didn't it? There's a there's a good reason not to tell private capital what to do with its money. But um, I think you're right. There, there's also I mean, there's also the question. It's not so much um, an ESG issue, but there've been cases where banks have refused to provide banking services to certain individuals and certain organizations because they disapprove of what that that entity or that person believes in and it strikes me that you know unless someone's actually doing and saying things that are criminal um it, it it's um just because you disagree with an organization's dance on i don't know um you know um election integrity or free speech or whatever 
it doesn't seem seem grounds to deny them banking services. So do you think there's a, a, a potential for legislative change on that too? I, I think there will be a lot of energy toward that. It is still unclear to me what that path looks like in terms of substantive policy that would actually tackle that. Yeah. Um, because it is difficult to, you know, again, I think it's in a, a murky sort of space. Uh, companies have all sorts of reasons why they may or may not give loans, um, for instance, using an example. You know, and I think there's, and it's hard to draw a line between companies maybe having certain, you know, um, capital allocation, you know, thresholds that they have to meet, you know, there's all kinds of different banking laws and rules and, and, and practices that they have to execute across an entire massive, you know, multi-trillion dollar portfolio, you know, and, and that's really complicated space. So to come in with a very simple state law or yeah. federal law, even that yeah. touches into that in a meaningful way is a real challenge. And I've talked to a number of um, you know, attorneys and state attorney general's offices just asking this question, what do you think about it? And the answer is pretty universally, we don't like it, but we're not sure yet what that solution is. And there may be yeah. other pathways legally to actually, you know, be looking, rather it may be actually more of a play of litigation as opposed to legislation, I think in the future. But, you know, I think that one will remain to be seen, but you know, I know, yeah. like I mentioned in the uh, in the past, we've written about this where, you know, companies, um, sectors even, you know, we saw um, the two biggest private prison companies, um, for instance, get debanked, you know, a few years ago from, you know, a major, you know, international bank that is based in the U.S. And, uh, you know, that kind of, that's a that's a, a moment, whether you, or not you like that sector or what they, I mean, that it's sort of beyond the, you know, specifics of that industry. It's more about what power does that imply, you know, out there in the in the um, in the marketplace by yeah. private actors to really yeah. take stances like this, and and yeah. it's really complicated space to keep yeah. that balance of free market yeah. capitalism I, I, without going too far. If, if that I, makes sense, I, I I quite agree. I mean, it'd be very easy to see how you could sort of wield a sledgehammer to miss the nut in in effect, and unintended consequences. You could actually end up doing something pretty authoritarian. So yeah, I know. I think we need to think through carefully. Good. Um, um, I'm really grateful to you for, for taking the time. Is there anything more you wanted to add um, as we begin to think about what we can do in the 2023 legislative session to see if we can bring forward some bills to address some of this? Is there anything you would advise us to try and do or not do? Um, well, okay. If uh, Sure. I mean, I think you, you just, you made a really good point there um, a, a moment ago. I think there is a strong, um, there's a, always a strong potential of overreaction or overcorrecting. Um, and as much of a threat as ESG is, there it in it may feel satisfying to try to take a sledgehammer as as I think you indicated, and that may have some downside consequences. You know that should be considered. I mean, we think tightening fiduciary boundaries, more transparency around decision making. Those are probably at least, you know, for the time being, in the moment at now, a a a corrective remedy that we think will be um, valuable. Um, we we had, Texas is a, is a state, for instance, that I would say maybe um, has gone in a more aggressive fashion. I know a number of states have looked at at what they've done, and I, you know, what they've really kind of embraced is an approach really toward a, a very strong counter pushback, where um, and they're more focused on oil and gas specifically, but the legislature there um, in 2021 
enacted legislation that both created a mechanism for the state's comptroller, which would be a treasurer in, in many other states, um, to essentially scrub their investment funds and of companies and funds that they invest in um, for any that have discriminated against the oil and gas industry as defined by the law and to basically set them up for um, divestment um, from the state entities. And then there's another provision of it that would then um, include a contract element of that where states, where the state actually is required to include in all of its contracts with you know various vendors, there's all sorts of contracting that happens in, in state government, um, that they will not, that basically the contractor has to agree that they will not discriminate against oil and gas essentially. And there's like a line item in the contract about that. And if they mm -hmm. violate it, um, you know, as determined by the state, then they can cancel the contract. And, you know, there's a lot, I understand the logic of it. And, and I, and, you know, you can totally see why a state like Texas would be incensed, frankly, by what they're seeing in the markets, you know, and what's mm -hmm. happening out there among the capital markets and, you know, sort of banking and in those sectors, you know, but I think what we're seeing is it's created a bit of a, a challenge, I, I think, in Texas with, you know, they've come up with 10 companies so far and 350 funds and now pensions and the state treasury are going about the business of trying to figure out how to divest from. There are a few carve outs, you know, so passive investments and those sorts of things. Um, there's some there's some carve outs to exclude them, but um, it's creating a, you know, I think a, an administrative challenge. It's not clear what signal that's actually going to send to the market. It has a risk probably of, you know, I would say counter boycott type, you know, backlash, I, I think out there potentially. And, you know, it, it, it is um, maybe a risky approach that, you know, from our perspective. Um, mm -hmm. So I think there's there's that, um, I would say is something to be mindful of. And as we mm -hmm. kind of walk forward into legislative action, I think tightening boundaries of fiduciary action, that's something we're going to see a lot of out there in the states. I, I know a number of states are looking at that right now. And um, It'll be interesting to see how DC and Washington DC and whatever, you know, however Congress, this split Congress starts to move forward. We're seeing even rulings as recently as like this morning from the Department of Labor, basically contradicting everything I just told you about what the proper boundaries fiduciary guidelines are. The DOL, Department of Labor, basically put out a, a, a guidance today suggesting that ESG is probably okay in balance. I mean, I'm totally, I'm, I'm maybe um, not giving it its due, but they're saying that ESG investment is is maybe in bounds for retirement planning, or retirement plans and investment, which we think is bad policy. So I think there's state level action. There's DC really, you know, will have its its day here. I think we're going to see folks in the, at least the the House, uh, the new House majority coming. They're going to be uh, probably calling the hearings, if not introducing lots of bills on this. So I think we've, we're really entering a, a space in which I think America was caught. I don't want to say by surprise, but ESG just kind of crept up and right around COVID just sort of landed in our national psyche. Now we're here at a public policy level and it's got a lot of people nervous. So mm -hmm. we're here at an interesting moment. So to maybe conclude, yeah. I would just say thank you for what you're doing at Mississippi Center. We, you know, happy to to collaborate with you in, in, yeah. in ways that are fruitful there. If if, if we can be helpful yep. in your efforts, which are, you we know, I, 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 we have a lot of respect for your organization based on past history there. And um, we have a site, if anybody wants to learn more about ideas uh, that we think are good, reason.org slash ESG. Again, reason.org slash ESG. You can go there. And we have some pieces of model legislation, some that are you know adapted from that fiduciary type of thing we talked about, some that go more into that transparency and some other very uh, 
deep and, and very nerdy nerdy pockets of this, but you know, it's down in the technical depth is is where this policy will will really be playing out for a while. Well, so with that, I, I really appreciate the time and, and yeah. I thank you for the for the ability yeah. to chat about this. Well, th th thank you so much. I mean, this is the genius of the American system. You have 49, as of Mississippi, we have 49 different solutions to look to and we can pick the one that works. You you talked about Texas, we can look at that. And, um, you know, it, it's, it's why America, I think, um, tends to solve her public policy problems much more rapidly than European countries, precisely because it's got this extraordinary dynamic um, system of, of trial and error. So thank you for your time. Thank you for your guidance. We will definitely be in touch as we come to draft the legislation. Thank you so much. Excellent. Thank you. I appreciate it. Take care. Thanks. Thanks. Bye. Mm -hmm. Bye.